before today's Educator Escape episode, I wanted to bring something to your attention really quick. If your school, your classroom needs earbuds or headphones, please, please consider TFD Supplies. That's tfdsupplies.com and you'll get them for 55 cents each. That's right, 55 cents for your regular earbuds. You're already using them probably for testing, your school store, your library, all these places. 55 cents each. You are not going to beat the price. Unconditional lifetime warranty. Free shipping anywhere in the USA. Over 500,000 earbuds in stock in 12 different color options. Please consider TFD Supplies the next time your school, your classroom needs earbuds. And now today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Educator Escape Podcast. My name is Seth Tripp and today is Thursday, December 20th, 2018. Thank you for listening in today. Today is the last day of school for most people before break. Congrats on getting through this semester and enjoy the break that is to come. Tuesday on the show, I talk with principal, blogger, and author Danny Steele about creating a positive school culture from the top down. If you have not listened to that episode, go check it out wherever you like to listen into podcasts. I want to let you know ahead of time that the show will be releasing an hour-long Christmas special on Monday, Christmas Eve, featuring some of our favorite past guests, a reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas Break, and some celebrities who will stop in as well. It is a special you don't want to miss. So before you head out to travel to family for the holidays, download it on Christmas Eve and bring Educator Escape along for the ride. Also, there will be no show on Thursday next week, so enjoy the Christmas special this whole week. After today's show, go subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I am currently on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and Spotify. After you have subscribed, give the show a review. As of now, you can only review on iTunes and Stitcher and comment on CastBox, so please take some time and review us on any of those sites. It helps our message grow. For all you people who listen on Google Play, if you haven't heard, Google has created their own podcast app. Go download it if you enjoy the Google experience so you can stay up to date with all your favorite shows, including Educator Escape. You can also find the podcast on social media. After you subscribe, go search Educator Escape on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. After you find our page, hit the like button on Facebook and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter. Because the show is interview-based, I'm always looking for new and exciting guests for the podcast. If you know of somebody that is doing something awesome in education, please either message me on social media or email me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com. Also, if you have any other suggestions or comments for the podcast, you can send them to me there as well. Yesterday on the Educator Escape blog, I talked about what happens when we implement the therapy of education and what happens when the patient is unresponsive and uncooperative to receive the healing. Go check it out tomorrow on educatorescape.com. On today's show, I am joined by educational consultant and professor of education at St. Cloud State, Dr. John Eller. John has worked in virtually every job in certified education and brings that expertise to his job of helping teachers and school systems better their classrooms and school culture. John and his wife have written several books about this issue, and John and I discuss these issues and more this episode on Educator Escape. Here's my interview with Dr. John Eller. Where did you go to high school? 
I grew up in northern Iowa in a small community uh, called Algona, so I went to Algona High School. About how big was your high school? Let's see, we had the 2,000 students across grades 9 through 12, so about 500 in a class, 550, something like that. Okay. All right. If you could go and do anything for vacation, what would you do? Well, I really like the lakes and boating, so that's probably what I have chosen to do over the time you know I've been on vacation. But I have several other things. I really like to travel, so I like to uh, travel to Europe and see some areas I haven't seen, maybe travel to Australia, maybe take a cruise, go into the mountains. I guess I have a lot of variety of things I like to do. <laughs> no, variety is good. Get this. Got, yeah, got to yeah. see, got to see everything. What is the you? You're an author yourself. What is the uh, a last book that you uh, that you read? The last book that I read is actually a book called The Trauma Informed School, and it's an area that I'm looking into doing some work in, where basically schools end up focusing more on understanding and helping the students when they're having issues rather than just administering consequences. Who writes that? This is a book by actually a couple of people, a guy named Jim Sporletter and Heather Forbes. And it's uh, the book that I have, Seth, is actually kind of a handbook about how you can, as a leader, how you can implement this trauma-informed uh, practice. Okay, okay, very cool. What was your favorite subject as a student? Hmm. I liked social studies because you kind of learn a little bit about, you know, the background and history and how different civilizations function, that sort of thing. So I, I would say probably social studies. Okay. Did you did you teach it all before you got into being a principal and and doing trainings and things like that? I did. I taught fifth grade. And then I also taught middle school and high school science. And so I actually taught life science and biology, which, as I think about it, are also my some of my favorite <laughs> right? subjects. I, I, would, <laughs> so, I, would, I would hope. I would hope that you yes, liked them. Yes, <laughs> When I actually, I, I enjoyed it in high school, but then when I got in college, it was really fun because we got to do a lot of hands-on things and learn about how the different you know, body systems function and, that, you know, that sort of thing. So it's kind of fun. Okay. Last one. If you found yourself with 30 free minutes to do with whatever you wanted to, you don't have any meetings or anything like that, what would you do with it? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I guess I haven't thought about this before. I probably would listen to music and maybe some, you know, different types of music. I think I would probably find a quiet place and maybe maybe read a book, but you know, listen to music. Okay. And what does that what does that mean for you? I remember going to your your PDs and you playing playing music. So I have mm -hmm. an idea, but what would you be listening to? I kind of like a variety of music. So uh, obviously, I grew up in the '70s, so I like a lot of rock, guitar kind of music, but. I also like kind of the dance music, the, the computer-generated music, oh, okay. uh, things that things that kind of have a beat. And and you probably heard. I don't. I can't remember. If I may have had a couple of songs like that in our session. I, I find that 
music really helps relax people and sets a nice tone when you're when you're teaching. So. Oh, I agree. That's why I use it. Now that we know all about you, tell us a little bit more about how you got into education and how you got to where you are now. All right. Well, actually, uh, when I went off to college, I was the first one in my family to to go to college. Uh, I have a cousin who's the same age as I am, and we both went to a community college together. But basically, when I started off, I was interested in engineering. And I quickly found that I really like to be around people. So I changed and got into education, and I wanted to teach and coach at the time. So I took a position as a fifth grade teacher, and that had some coaching opportunities. And then after my third year, I got an offer to actually teach science at middle school, high school setting. So I did that. And then I've always kind of moved into the leadership area. Uh, when I was in college, I was the manager of a swimming pool, and you know I was in charge of some crew work crews and things. So I ended up getting my master's degree at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and I became a principal in a small community. I was there for two years, and that's when I kind of developed my love for the consulting training. Okay. So. We were part of a project where some national consultants were working with us on effective teaching strategies. So basically, I started volunteering uh, to get additional training, and then I started doing some sessions. But in the meantime, I moved into a larger community as a principal. I was selected as the Iowa Principal of the Year while I worked there. And then I took a position in the Chicago area as a principal, and that position came with the promise that I could work on my doctorate while I was there. So right. I decided that would be a good thing, and so basically I uh, spent four years there. We actually lived in the community where Home Alone was filmed, oh, okay. and that, that school was in my neighborhood, my, my school neighborhood. Then we, came, we moved to Minnesota. We'd been vacationing up here for a number of years, and we decided it would be fun to kind of live near the lakes that we like to go to. Mm -hmm. And I became an assistant superintendent. And while there are enjoyable parts of the job, there's also some negative parts of the job and you're really away from kids and learners. So I took a position as a professor at a university where we had a master's program that met on the weekend, a master's of teaching in education. So I worked there for a number of years. There I brought some of my facilitation uh, techniques that you saw in the in the seminars. Mm-hmm. And then I got an opportunity to take a professorship at Virginia Tech. So I went there. I was there during the Virginia Tech shooting. Oh, that was my first year at the university. I was actually in the Washington, D.C. area. There's a campus in Falls Church, Virginia. Okay. And and basically, it was kind of traveling back and forth to home. And then uh, my wife came and worked in the Fairfax Public Schools. And after a while, we decided to come back to Minnesota. Our children were here. So then I took a job at St. Cloud State University and became the director of a doctoral program in educational leadership. Okay. And that's what I've been doing for the last eight years, I think, seven, eight years. But in the meantime, I've been co-authoring with my wife. We've been writing books, 
and doing seminars in both the United States, Canada, and also I've done some work with principals and teachers in the country of Chile. Okay. And had an opportunity to also do some work in Switzerland. So that's been kind of rewarding to get an opportunity to kind of work in a variety of different settings with, uh, with educators. What is that like being in another country and and training teachers who had a different experience in school than you did? I feel like that would be a and then their systems are completely different than than ours. What was how was what was that like? Right. Well, it's kind of fun because in Chile, of course, you're in the southern hemisphere, so when you're there in January, it's actually summertime, right. which is kind of nice. Right. And the, one of my problems is I don't speak Spanish very well, so usually I have an interpreter. But just to experience the difference in culture is amazing. And what's happened in Chile is they have implemented a voucher system where parents can actually take a voucher and go to any school they want. I think this has been going on for like 20 or 30 years. Oh my. So the public system has really suffered because parents have gone to like parochial schools and that sort of thing. So oh they're actually trying to start with the leadership and improve their schools. I, I find that wherever you go, people are very dedicated. Educators are very dedicated. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in Chile, there's no formal training for principals. It's just whoever has kind of either been there the longest or who maybe seems to be the most assertive or whatever. Mm -hmm. So people are really hungry to learn. And the teachers there also, they're, they're actually called professors, Spanish, and there's not a lot of collaboration. They do their planning. The schools I've been in, they do their planning in like a central area there's a curriculum coordinator who actually kind of mandates what the curriculum is and most of the other countries they have a really strong ministry of education mm-hmm. so they prescribe like everything down to the almost to the day of of the content wow but teachers are really you know friendly eager want to learn new ideas care about their kids so those are some things that I'm finding are very similar between the United States and the countries I've worked in. Okay. I didn't realize that, well, I guess I should have made the connection, but I didn't realize that I should probably have your wife on here with you so so you both can talk, can talk about your the the journey that you've you've both you've both been on because she's co-authored several of your books. What is that like mm-hmm. writing a, a book with your spouse? Like my wife and I, we've just we can't work, we can't make dinner together, or we get oh, okay. we can't we can't you know I can't I I did like I was like a, a chef in college and I have things do things they need to do a certain way and she has things she does a certain way. I can't imagine what it's like to take on a project like a, a book together with your spouse. Well, Seth, the nice thing about our relationship is that. We've been pretty collaborative most of our lives, and it's a real advantage for me because the work that I do, I'm not in a school on a day, but my wife is. 
so she helps provide some of the pertinent examples and the content expertise and that sort of thing. And then I, I kind of help to put it together. So we both, uh, each, each of us has our roles as we, as we work on the books. Okay. So while you're at St. Cloud, you also do some educational consulting. You came down and you did a, a session, to a few sessions at Riverview Gardens here in St. Louis that I was able to attend and felt like a lot of people got a lot out of. Why did you feel attracted to consulting? What sort of led you in that direction? You talked about it when you first started being a principal in Iowa, that you sort of got drawn to to it. What sort of made you want to jump feet first into the field? For me, Seth, it was kind of fun. And as a teacher, I really enjoyed working with the students. And when I became a principal, there was a little bit less of that opportunity. So I think it really helped kind of fill a gap that you can actually help adults learn. And adults are much different than children, uh, usually more demanding. You have to make the learning pertinent for them. So it's, it's been a fun challenge, but I, I think it's, it's the idea of working with people, helping, you know, see the look on their face when they learn something, helping them to be, build their confidence and implement new strategies. Okay. So when I was in your, your session a, a little while ago, you talk about implementing new strategies for a school district that is, that is bouncing back. And from you know the brink of state takeover, and you came in and you talk about establishing a classroom culture, which is something that we really needed to do as a school district. First, that what are some ways that we can improve our our classroom culture with that positive growth mindset, and then how can we determine if things are going in the right direction? Well, I think that building a culture really is focused on a few things. One is you, you have to be relationship motivated. So the idea that, you know, your your role as a teacher is to really develop uh, positive relationships with students, that really can help them learn. I think the, another attribute about a culture, a classroom culture, is that you have to be interested in helping people be successful, helping students be successful. Because, as you know, many times you get into situations where there's an issue maybe outside of school or maybe the student has difficulty in an academic area, and they don't always appear to be receptive to learn. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're scared, nervous, uh, that sort of thing. So I think it's that personal commitment of, you know, trying to make sure that you set the, the right environment that is key, building the relationships, and then looking at how can you make your classroom engaging and interesting. Many, many times people get caught up in the dissemination of content when, in fact, when students are polled at the end of their high school career and they're asked what are the most significant moments they've had, they don't talk about the fact that, oh, you know, multiplying fractions that was a significant <laughs> moment for me <laughs> they really focus on a story or a teacher who reached out that sort of thing and for me that's kind of what happened to me when i was in middle school i had a social studies teacher who really reached out and made me feel welcome and you know i i think that 
you set that culture where you care about the kids, you want to get to know more about them, you want to build relationships, all of those things really develop that attractiveness to the classroom that you need. Right. How do we know that it's that it's working? Like, like I can do all those things that you said, but what are some signs that we're making a shift in the correct direction? Well, I think, first of all, when you are working on relationships, you can start to see that students are responding. So, like, if one of the strategies I shared at the seminar was greeting the students at the door, welcoming mm-hmm. them to your classroom. And at first, they're going to look at you, you know, kind of strange. But once they start to understand that that's part of the culture, the welcoming aspect, you're going to start to see some response. If you're thinking about how can you actually make sure the classroom is safe and everyone has an opportunity to learn, then you're going to see kids who are trying new things, who mm-hmm. are sticking their necks out, um, so to speak. So I think a lot of what you look for are some of the behaviors, some of the overt kinds of behaviors that you can see in in the students. I know some teachers actually periodically do an assessment with their students to find out, you know, what's the classroom like, what could I improve on, that sort of thing, so then they can have some data. But but I think it's observable relationships, observable behaviors, comfort, fear of not failing, that sort of thing is really helpful. Okay. It's sometimes it's not just the students that make our job difficult. It's sometimes working with difficult people. And you wrote a book about working with resistant staff. And you would, is that one that you collaborated with with your wife? I didn't. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yes. Okay. Yes, we we did uh, collaborate on that book. Okay. So people have different visions, and sometimes those those visions don't match, and it causes a bit of strife. You name that there's different people, and you can identify those people. There, it's pretty obvious what their different qualifiers are for the different type of person within your staff. What are those identifiers and how can administrators and teachers deal with those people who are sort of disrupting that process of moving in that positive direction? Well, in the book, actually, Seth, we identify like eight common types of what you would call difficult and resistant people. Okay. And so there's uh, some of these are somewhat observable. For example, one of the types is what we call the underminer. The underminer personality is the kind of person who, no matter what everyone else thinks, they always try to derail the new direction. Another uh, type is what's called the on-the-job the re- retiree. Mm-hmm. That's a person who's kind of coasting things out and trying to just get by on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So w- when you think about that working with difficult people, that relates back to the whole idea of school culture. And so what we want in our classrooms with collaboration and students feeling it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to try, we also want to have that atmosphere in our school uh, with the adults. The building leader or the leadership team, what they need to do is, first of all, help the staff set a direction for where the school is going. 
mm-hmm. and then make it open so that people can basically disagree and have an opportunity to voice their opinion and then we try to really focus on how can we make sure that we listen to the opinion and then how can we satisfy that issue or how can we satisfy that concern but once you've had an opportunity to kind of work through things and there's a what we call critical mass of people moving in a direction mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. as a leader or leadership team you have to look for what are those behaviors or what are those areas where people are doing things that are kind of detrimental to the direction of the school. So at that point, and and again, typically this would fall on the principal first, is they have to notice that someone's undermining or someone is being negative or someone is putting others down. Then they have to decide how how can we deal with that. The most effective way is when you notice it early on, is to have what we call a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if the principal's running a staff meeting and they notice that somebody in the back is correcting their papers rather than engaging in the conversation, right. which, by the way, is a really common thing that you sometimes see, as a principal, then you need to maintain that person's self-worth, but basically meet with them somewhere privately and then explain to them, that about why that's a problem and what your expectations are for the future. The first step is this idea of how do we actually help people to know and how do we be honest about what's getting in the way of our learning as mm-hmm. a faculty. Then another really critical element of the school culture is helping strengthen those people who are on track. So sometimes, and again, you've probably seen this because you've worked in several schools where mm-hmm one or two teachers who seem to have a lot of assertiveness, they kind of get everyone else in line. And if they're positive, that's fine, but sometimes they're negative. And sometimes the rest of the staff doesn't know how to actually stand up to them, kind of like the adult version of bullying. So as you think about how do we – and what we tend to do is help teachers learn some of the skills of – confronting and sharing their opinions so that they don't get taken advantage of. So you kind of build the skills of the staff. And then basically try to help keep everyone moving, make sure you have lots of opportunities for people to share their concerns in a, in a, a positive kind of public way rather mm-hmm. than they go underground. Because sometimes we have principals who are autocrats, and what happens is no one can dare say anything. So what happens is all of the complaining goes underground. And then basically it doesn't get to the right person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a difficult person, they actually have a really good point about an issue. They might have a concern about something. And basically if we too quickly shut that down, we might miss a really good opportunity to, to see something that we need to fix. It's hard to put this in a nutshell. No, that's fine. But but as a as a leader, or what's happening now, at least in our state, is there's a lot of what are called building improvement teams or building leadership teams that are working. Is we have to be pretty open about how do we handle and deal with conflict? Because sometimes conflict is good. If everybody's happy and nobody 
is challenging anything, we can make some really big mistakes. On the other hand, if everybody is after each other, we don't make any progress. So I think a really important element is how do you help a faculty to understand the role of conflict and then how do you work with conflict as you're moving forward. A big thank you to Dr. John Eller for joining me on the podcast. If you're interested in following John on social media, you can follow him on Twitter at J-E-L-L-E-R-3. And thank you all for listening in today. If you would like to keep track of the show on social media, search Educator Escape and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter and hit the like button on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen in to podcasts. I want you to be the first to get all of our new episodes. After you have subscribed, go give us a review. It helps our show get noticed. If you know of any educators who are doing exceptional work and you would love for them to be highlighted on the podcast, please let me know by emailing me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com, and I would love to feature them on the show. Yesterday on the Educator Escape blog, I talked about what happens if we implement the therapy of education and what happens when the patient is unresponsive and uncooperative to receive the healing. Go check it out tomorrow on educatorescape.com. Today's quote is from the great teacher himself. Wisdom begins with wonder. Socrates. Thank you all for listening today. I hope everyone will tune in for our hour-long Christmas special on Christmas Eve. Have a great day and enjoy the start to your break. I'm out of here.